Okay, I'm gonna start with a story. Um, earlier this year, Rose and I went to Thailand, and the purpose was a missions trip. So for, for years, we've wanted to do some form of overseas missions, and it just felt like the right time, and we looked at a number of different options, and um, the picture here is a picture of uh, the Bangkok Vineyard, and that's the building they have in the slums of Bangkok. Um, and, it, you know, we did some research. It looked like it was going to be a good fit. We stayed in the building, and we were going to do stuff around the neighborhood. And when we got there, we, um, we, did, some, we did some tours of the neighborhood, saw some lovely sewers, and, you know, that wasn't so bad. But we didn't do a lot of missions work that we were expecting to do. We were expecting to, I don't know, interact with the people of the neighborhood. And I brought some tools so that I could help build stuff or whatever. And in the end, it, none of that really transpired. It kind of became more of a, they hosted us very well and they gave us tours and they showed us stuff, which was nice. And we got a good feel for what they were doing, but we didn't really do much that we were expecting. So for us, it was rather disappointing in that, I mean, this was kind of be, gonna be the mission trip of our lifetime, you know? <laughs> Unrealistically high expectations and they weren't fulfilled. <laughs> so <laughs> that to say, even when we do things for God and we have a sense that God is in it, they don't always work out. And that relates completely to what we're talking about today. Uh, the title of the sermon is When Things Go Backwards. We're looking at Exodus 5. Yeah, even when we follow God, things don't always go as expected. Hmm. Okay, bit of background. Um, we're going through the book of Exodus, looking at it as it as a story of liberation. Um, the Israelites, remember they moved to Egypt to avoid a famine several generations before this. Subsequently, there's a new pharaoh and they've now all become slaves. So they're under physical oppression. Um, they also, because of being in a different culture and um, God's not really being that obvious in their lives, I guess. They became kind of, uh, their spiritual beliefs weren't focused wholly on God anymore. So they also needed spiritual liberation. And this is true for all of us. I mean, God is concerned about us being free, to be human, to be who we really are, so that we can relate to him well. So really, life is a journey of becoming more free hopefully. And I mean, if you, you don't have to look too deeply within yourself, I'm sure, to see that there are things that keep you from doing what you want to do or from being who you really feel you are. And if you're taking the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, then you're very aware of this because that's what you're working on right now. So let's get into the story. So this is a picture of the Israelites under bondage, they're, they're, 
they're working as slaves, not a lot of freedom. Um, so I'll read the, the passages to you, kind of along all of Exodus 5. Uh, so Moses and Aaron were came to Egypt and they met with the Israelites elders to tell them why they're there and then after that Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said this is what the Lord the God of Israel says let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness and Pharaoh said who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go then they said the God of the Hebrews has met with us now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of this land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseas in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding them, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, Yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. This is what you keep that is what you keep saying. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why Lord have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, to speak in your name he has brought trouble on his people on this people and you have not rescued your people at all so 
Let's look a little closer at the three different perspectives of what just happened. First of all, there's Pharaoh's perspective. And Pharaoh is a political leader. He doesn't know the God of the Israelites. He's mainly concerned about losing his laborers. Um, he knows very well that if they go into the desert three days, they're probably not going to come back. And he doesn't want that to happen. So he, if we go back to Exodus 1, um, to get some background to this, uh, Exodus 1.8, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we will join, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. So this, is, this was Pharaoh's plan. So obviously, if the people are trying to get free, his response is just to oppress them further. Another perspective is that of the Israelites, and they are slaves. They, from all accounts, they did have some amount of freedom. I mean, they were slaves, but they also did have a bit of free time. Um, not that they had a good life by any means, but compared to the situation now, um, it was much better. So as I mentioned, they knew of God's of God, but it was mixed with religious beliefs of Egypt. So part of what we've seen going on in this part of Exodus is God showing Israel as well as Egypt who he really is. Um, the Israelites turned to Pharaoh for help, which doesn't work, so then they complained to Moses and Aaron. So that's great, right? You've come to rescue people and you come to make things better and everyone turns on you. So Moses and Aaron are somewhat discouraged by that. Moses had spoken with God and presumably Aaron knew God well as well. So Moses and Aaron were God's representatives in this situation. So they complained to God. Um, and we won't get into it today, but God responds quite patiently and quite affirmatively to them and supports them. Dang. The really fun thing about this is I changed things last night, so I can't remember hmm. where we're going. All right. So from the perspective of Moses and Aaron, they're trying to do God's will. Things didn't go like they expected. Things got worse, and they're discouraged. Um, if you remember, maybe not, Exodus 3.19, uh, God says to Moses, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So there was definitely a warning from God that this wasn't going to be just, you know, 
them going in asking for the people to be freed and Vivero going, okay, sure, go. He, he, they were warned to expect opposition and which they're now ex experiencing, but of course they're discouraged by it. And I mean, it's kind of understandable. I, if you think back, we've been through this in the last few months, but uh, Moses originally tried to, was very aware that he was a Hebrew in Egypt, and he tried to save Israel by his own means. So in Exodus 2.11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This didn't work out so well for Moses, as you can imagine. He, it was discovered he did this and um, he had to flee the country. And so he, he spent 40 years in the desert. A lot of time to reflect on what happened, a lot of time to... Uh, try to forget about what was going on to his people. And then God calls him. Moses learned, obviously, that he could not do this in his own strength and completely had given up on the idea of saving his people. So I think God seems to do this, not just here, but this often happens in Scripture where someone's called to do something, tries to do it in their own strength, it completely is a disaster, and then once they feel like they can't do anything, then God works with them. <laughs> so if you feel like that, you're, you're in the right place. Yep. Yeah. So when Moses feels he can't do anything, God calls him, and Moses reluctantly, quite reluctantly responds, even to the point where he says, please, God, choose someone else. I can relate to that. But the seed was there in Moses, like many years ago, even Moses was, had been chosen and he had sensed it, it just didn't come to fruition until years later, which should also be encouraging to us if we feel like we're stuck. What just happened? So it's, it's interesting, this is, this part of Exodus is really the beginning of the nation of Israel as we see it in the rest of the Bible. This is, um, Israel exists as a people group, but within Egypt. So this is when they are taken out and they become their own nation and they become God's people. So what happens in this process is very important and it's very much sets the tone for how God wants to be represented on earth. So it shows us a lot about God as well. So we're not going to look at that too much today, but we will in the next, I don't know, month or so that we cover this. Why don't things work out? Well, who knows? Um, it's a fallen world and a lot of messiness exists. Um, Yeah, one of the things I really like about Christianity and about this church is there's room for messiness. Because in my experience in life, things rarely go the way they're supposed to. And if I look at 
what I see in Christianity in the Bible, it's, it's everywhere. So it's very encouraging that God works in the midst of that. Sometimes God's trying to teach us something. Um, we might think we're ready, but God realizes we're not. So he, he lets things happen to us so that we can grow. Sometimes it's just the wrong time. Sometimes we're stupid and we just go things, do things completely wrong. And then sometimes there's just the fact that it is hard to bring change into any situation and it's just normal to expect opposition. Um, I, a little off topic, but my family has family reunions every two or three years. And it's fascinating to me that I'm not a kid. Like, it's been a long time since I've been a kid. I've got my own family. I've got grandkids. But yet, when I go back into that environment with my family, I'm a kid. Like, the way that I act and the way that I feel about myself, it's like 40 years ago. It's fascinating that that... And if, even though I've changed that dynamic has never changed. And for it to change would require quite a bit of work. So there is always some opposition to change, especially when there's people involved. So I thought of this. This is a really big boat. Heck, you could call it a ship. And once these suckers get going in a straight line fast, if I was to say kayak up to that, and go, you know, I try to change its course by pushing on it, yeah, nothing gonna happen. So you need, it would happen eventually. If I pushed on that for like a month as hard as I could, I could change its course by a few degrees. But bringing about change takes a prolonged hard effort frequently. Thankfully, God's on our side, usually, as long as we're doing the right thing. Um, part of what I think this passage is about and what we can learn from it is how do we respond to troubles? Because it's very easy to get discouraged or to um, give up. One of the more profound things I've learned in my life is that how we feel about a situation is related to how we think about the problem. So if if something goes bad and I think it's someone else's fault, I'm most likely to be angry towards them. If I think it's my fault, I might feel discouraged. So um, it's very important how we think about what the problem is and how we assess what the problem, the difficulty, where it came from. So often we end up blaming others. We can blame ourselves. Um, my favorite response to most problems is to deny they exist and just kind of be like the big ship, just keep going. It'll get out of the way, which, you know, works for some problems. Other ones, not so much. Um, sometimes we just get really discouraged and despairing. And we could turn to someone else to try to help us, someone in authority over us, or, hey, we could also turn to God, usually on the bottom of the list. Maybe not for all of us, but... Um, as I mentioned, this is... The Bible is full of people just like this. 
trying to follow God but having troubles, things not going the way that they're expected to go. Um, I had a long list of examples, but it was a long list. So I'm just going to focus on one. Um, Paul going to Rome. So in Romans, this is... Paul was probably in Corinth when he wrote Romans, if you can think of your New Testament history. Um, He says this, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now. So Paul had um, a desire, possibly God-given, possibly not, but to go to Rome and to spread the gospel and to support the believers there. But he hadn't been able to. So his, his, his plans are to go to Jerusalem, and he's um, meeting with the believers there, and then he was going to go to Rome. But when he's in Jerusalem, he gets arrested. And you can read Acts if you don't remember this story. Um, Through various trials, he, uh, he ends up being under arrest for two years. And things are kind of going nowhere. And it's kind of becoming obvious to him that he's not going to get justice while he's in Jerusalem. So he appeals to Caesar and then he gets sent to Rome. Because he's a Roman citizen, he's allowed to do this. And part of me wonders, like, was he just so frustrated at being stuck there that he appealed to Caesar? Or was he, like, thinking, hey, I could get to Rome this way if I just appeal to Caesar? So maybe maybe he was being very, um, very wise, realizing that the only way he's going to get to Rome is to actually just go as a prisoner, which I guess isn't the worst way. But And then if you read the story, things go really bad. They go on a boat. There's a big storm. There's a shipwreck. Everyone almost dies. They spend the winter on some island. And then eventually they make it to Rome. Once he's in Rome, he has a lot of favors. So he's. we don't actually know if he ever sees Caesar. We don't know how the story ends. It kind of just stops. Um, But when he's in Rome, he has a lot of freedom, and he actually meets with a lot of believers, and in the end achieves his goal of meeting with the Roman believers. And, And actually he has, because a lot of Caesar's officials know him, he actually gets to preach to a lot of people in the emperor's household, and quite an amazing inn because he is a prisoner. So it actually goes really well, but certainly not the plan, you know? (laughs) Very roundabout way of getting to the destination. And it's amazing just how he perseveres and he prays, and um, we see occasions where he's just... Even in difficult circumstances, he still worships, and he just trusts that God is in charge and in the midst of all of it. So we can learn from that.
I'd like to be more like Paul in that respect, I think. He doesn't give up. We don't really ever read of him in despair um, in spite of all the difficulties that he has. So there is a good side to troubles and suffering. They help us grow and often reveal something about ourselves, um, which is good because we can grow out of it, which is horrible when you're in it because who wants to know things that you're trying to bury your whole life? Um, also reminds us we're not in charge. We are very good at thinking that we are more powerful than we are. And if things go the right way, it can draw us closer to God. If things go badly, we can turn to God and hopefully that gives us a better perspective on the situation that um, just to know that God is control and he's got plans and he's got our back. He's, we don't have to be discouraged. We can stay positive because we know that God's got it all under control. John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Just that perspective that, you know, the messiness of life, this is not, things will go bad, but God's, God's overcome it all. Of course, you could read it as he overcame the world by dying. Um, you know, his death is the final victory, that sense. I like to think that things will get better on earth before we die. It's not just going to be us waiting to die to be free. Um, <laughs> that's kind of bleak. I don't, that's not what I'm saying here. We're, we're kind of early today. Just to warn you. <laughs> um, yes, Mark. <laughs> yeah, turning to God is the last thing we do because it's the only one that works. <laughs> There's no other things after that. Yeah, good point. <laughs> so if we started there, it would be the list because it'd be the only thing on the list. <laughs> Very wise. Um, so a quick recap because it's been so long since I started. Um, Moses and Aaron, <laughs> doing God's will, trying to do good, things go to pot, and the people they're trying to help turn against them. Actually, a pattern you'll see repeated often in Exodus is that the people are angry at them. So there you go, trying to help people, and they, they hate you for it. Even when following God's plan, things will sometimes go backwards, and how we respond is what matters. And I'm not saying that I'm good at this, because I'm not. Preaching to myself as well as to all of you. I found this interesting prayer. 
um, which I'm going to read to you. And it's one of those things where you have to think about it. It's not really, it's a little deep, hard language. Anyway, I'm going to pray it over us. O oh God, let the plowshare, plowshare of your stern mercy break the complacent ground of our souls. Let the broad hand of your providence strew the soil with the seed of circumstance, and in your time, grant us a harvest of hours and life in which the labor and suffering of our hearts shall be fruitful with eternal grain. Amen. I like it because it, it, it just speaks of um, the growth that can come out of difficulties. And, and it ends with hope that we can be fruitful through the suffering. So I'm going to leave that up. That is actually the end of my sermon. Um, Rose, you look like you'd like to say something. Okay. Um, as Dean was speaking, um, you know, as Dean is sharing he, he, the reality of life and, you know, confessing to his own limitations, um, we're on this journey together. And... Um, Dean said, God is showing us who he is in the midst of suffering. And that's really hard to remember in the midst of it. But the word of God says, by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony, we are overcomers. So when you take that to heart, how do you actually work that out? And so um, I have to own it that God is faithful. God does heal. God does deliver. And lately, I don't feel like it. And so I have a variety of medical problems. And as you know, I have a brain injury, and I have a serious disability in my feet. I'll probably limp the rest of my life. I may never drive a car again. I may never work again. And um, lately, my hips have developed bursitis really seriously, and it's even hard to walk because of that. So I'm in pain constantly. And so um, I can't heal myself. I, can't I can medicate to relieve some of the symptoms. I can have a lifestyle of not using my hips and using a cane and these kinds of things and limitations with the brain. Um, but only God can deliver me. So as I sat there, God reminded me that two years ago, um, I was having such serious asthma attacks. I had six very close succession within a couple of months that almost killed me. And um, God has said... Remember, you no longer have asthma attacks. I have not had an asthma attack in two years. And I haven't been medicated for a year and a half. God delivered me. So no more trips to the emergency room, no more life and death. For that, I am incredibly grateful. Only God did that. And we lose sight of the things he has done in the midst of our momentary pain and suffering. So 
I just really felt like God was saying that um, we're not to lose sight of what he's done already in our lives. And that is why it's by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony that we are overcomers. It's his sacrifice and us remembering what he has done so we don't get lost in the momentary pain. Um, so we're gonna, um, we're gonna wrap things up here. Um, I was reminded, um, many of you know that my wife Joanna just had surgery on a Friday, a small little day surgery. Um, and in case you want to know, she's doing very well, thank you. She's at home, she's, uh, small little day surgery. If you ever need day surgery, I highly recommend Surrey Memorial Hospital, by the way, because the staff is fabulous. And uh, Joanna's healing very well, and many of you have been very kind and praying for her and um, supplying meals, um, for which we are very grateful and thank you uh, for that. Um, but in following up with what Dean has said and what Rose has said, I know that almost all of us who have made Vancouver Eastside Vineyard our home have a story of something happened to me and I was going through this and you people responded by praying for me, taking me out for coffee, making me a meal, listening to me. We, how many of us in this church have one of those stories? Of that the rest of you helped me out. Um. And when we are facing things, as Dean has said, um, as we read in Exodus, when things don't go the way that we planned or when life is difficult, as we keep our eyes on God, usually our first point of comfort, although we need to pray and ask God first, our first point of comfort is actually each other. And that's what, that's what church really is. And that's why I really love our community. So... I think the most spiritual thing that we can do right now, first of all, if this has really ministered to you, obviously, as Dean said, the first thing we do is pray. So find someone that you trust, share, pray with each other. Um, as Dean said, that should be the top of our list, and it's usually not. But I think one of the most spiritual things that we can do is actually go have coffee with each other. And I think that often... I grew up in a church worldview that I've been fighting all my life, that everything that happens up here when you're speaking into a microphone is holy and good, and this is where God happens, and everything outside of this is just sort of extracurricular, and I'd like to disagree, um, because as, we, as I learn more about God, those relationships that we build with each other and those friendships that we build, that's how we are really the church. So, you know, it's not like, oh, good, oh, I'm so glad that Wade and Dean are finished drowning, droning on and on and on and speaking to that mic. Now we can visit and have coffee. Whew. No, what's really happening when we are sitting talking to each other is those relationships of the kingdom of God are building. 
And when we are struggling with each other, that's when it's like, oh, hey, you need a casserole? Done. You know, you need help to move your house? Done. Right? That's where we get to be God with each other. Um, so if you need prayer, once again, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. That should be at the top of our list. Find someone you trust. We'd love to do that. Uh, but let's continue, as we say before we take our offering, let's continue our worship by buying a juice box and uh, hanging out with each other. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all your gifts and all your grace. Uh, but I have seen so many times in my life that your grace and your ministry and your peace have come directly through these people in front of me and through this community. Um, I pray, most of all, that you'll help us continue to extend our community, that we are always a community of welcome uh, to new people, to visitors, to our neighborhood, uh, to those who are not the same as us, that we welcome people of uh, all ages, uh, all races, um, all beliefs, um, that we live the kingdom of God in everything that we do and everywhere we go in every day of our lives. Um, so continue to challenge ourselves um, to continue to extend our table, as we learned about in our last sermon series, uh, but also um, just to help each other hand in hand as we walk through difficulties that we face in our life every day. And thank you for this community. And we praise you. And uh, let us go forth this week with your grace as we share it with each other in the world. In your name, amen. <laughs>